We literally just sang the sermon, so I'm beside myself uh, just how gracious God is because of the cross of Christ. That's what we sang in the first song. He is now our cornerstone. That's what we sang in the second song. And because of the hope that we have in Christ, in Christ alone, we're waiting here for Jesus. That's just good all by itself. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 3, looking at verse 17 through chapter 4, verse 1, continuing in our series entitled Gospel Culture, the way of life for people or society. So for us as the people of God, it's the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ that informs our customs, our courtesies, our way of of life, and as we've been walking through Philippians chapters one through three, we've been seeing the different customs that define the life of a believer. Today, we'll see in a word, persevere. Perseverance is one of the marks of a believer, and it's something that we desperately need and need to lean into. So, my prayer. Uh, Zach was right, I'm going to have us pray again, but I don't think you could ever pray enough. So thank you for praying, and let's pray some more. My prayer is that we would leave here encouraged, challenged, charged, and if you breathe and you're like me, human, maybe even a little convicted, but not in a negative and defeating way, in a way that encourages us to run and continue to go get it for God. Only the Holy Spirit can do that work. So let's go before the throne of grace and ask the Holy Spirit to do his work. Father, we humbly, graciously, and yet boldly because of Jesus Christ come before the throne of grace. Asking that you would do a work on this morning. We thank you for the work that you have begun to do in our hearts as we sang your praise, reminding ourselves and singing to the highest heavens that it's because of who Jesus is and what he's done that we have confidence in Christ, our cornerstone, and that now we eagerly, expectantly await the return of our Lord and Savior. Would you minister this truth to our hearts this morning in a way that captivates our minds and compels us to continue and continually run for you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and we thank you, Lord. Amen. Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 17 and reading through chapter 4, verse 1. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, 
whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. Stand firm, thus in the Lord, my beloved. This is the word of God. The word of God is good all by itself. If you were here with us two weeks ago when we opened up Philippians chapter 3, you'll remember some explanation on this first word, finally. We mentioned that this word is not a word to communicate closure as though Paul is bringing the letter to an end, but it's a transition in this context to point the reader's attention to some other things that the author wants to address. And so we understood that this section here, starting at chapter 3, verse 1, is the second section of Paul's letter. And we see in chapter 4, verse 8, that Paul uses this word finally again, that that's the third section. So this is a three-part letter where Paul is dealing with different things that he wants to bring to the attention of the saints in Philippi. And it's important before we look to unpack this final portion, verses 17 through chapter 4, verse 1, of the first part of this second section that we tie in verses 1 through 16 so that verse 17 and on can make a little bit of sense. So I'm going to do a high-level overview of what we unpacked over the last two weeks. So if you missed any of it, you can go back and listen to those sermons. I'm going to do it no justice, but just so that we can tie the thread and start to dive into chapter 17 with some context and understanding. Paul writes to the saints in Philippi, that he's writing something that's familiar to them. He says, to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. So this section that we're going through is not new information to the saints in Philippi. These are things that Paul has been teaching them. So this is a a refresher course, a reminder on things that they have been taught. And so in verse 2, Paul is reminding them to beware of these Judaizers, those who are teaching to have confidence in the circumcision for salvation. They would say that if you're circumcised, you're a citizen, a son and daughter of God. But Paul lets the believers know in verse 3 that the true circumcision, the true children of God are those who put their confidence in Christ and Christ alone. And so Paul then goes from verse 4 through 11, giving his personal testimony of how he made this decision to not put his confidence in the flesh, but to put his faith in Christ. And he gives this great example of gain and loss, monetary communication to let the believers know that he counts everything that was once something to him as nothing so that he might gain everything in Christ. And then he continues on to let the believers know that this confidence that he has in Christ informs the way that he conducts himself in this life. And so now he says that I'm pursuing Christ and eternal life, the resurrection of the dead. And in verse 13, he says, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, the resurrection of the dead. But one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, these words forgetting and straining are present, active, continuous verbs. 
So Paul is saying this is something that I am doing and continuing to do. It's an intentional decision to completely and continually leave behind the things that he once put his confidence in. Again, in the context, he's talking about the list of things that he started in verse 4 that he once put his confidence in. I'm intentionally forgetting those things, not putting my confidence in those, and straining forward for what lies ahead, the resurrection from the dead. And in doing that, he says, I press on. This word can also be translated pursue. I pursue this goal. I do that by keeping my eye on the prize, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And so then Paul gets over to verse 17, and he says, brothers, and now so that we can have, again, some understanding here, by calling the readers brothers, sisters, citizens of God, he is communicating that these are those who also put their confidence in Christ and Christ alone. And if you remember maybe what might seem like forever ago when we started out in Philippians, Paul is clearly not questioning their faith and their partnership in the gospel because he commended them in chapter 1 at great length on how they are partakers in the gospel with him. So by calling these believers brothers, Paul is acknowledging that these are those who are confident in Christ. But yet Paul makes this call to them to join in imitating me and to keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So what is it exactly that Paul is saying here? Is he calling them to put their confidence in Christ? No, again, the context, Paul is going back to what he communicated in verse 13. The one thing that I do, join in imitating me. There are those who also practice this along with me. And I want you to keep your eyes observed to do those, what those who are following our example are doing. And so Paul is talking about straining forward. He's talking about this continuous, present, active pursuit for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. So he's calling the believers not to put their confidence in Christ because they've done that, not that they need to be partners because they're doing that, not that he's saying don't do that, but he knows we have these things covered, your brothers and sisters in Christ. What I'm encouraging you now is to follow my example and follow those who are living by this example, straining forward, keep pursuing God and God alone. And we see why Paul would give this kind of reminder and give this call to the saints in Philippi. Because there were some issues that had been stirring up in some of the churches that Paul had planted. And he wants to preemptively communicate to the saints in Philippi, don't go down that path. Don't stray from the confidence that you have in Christ and the partnership that you have in the gospel. And so here in verse 18, Paul calls out, the lifestyle that could lead someone astray from continually persisting in their pursuit for God and God alone. For many, Paul says, of whom I have often told you, I told you about them before, so I'm reminding you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, I love how Paul is just so sincere and compassionate. See, Paul is not uh, angry uh, towards those in and of himself. He's actually heartbroken with tears in his eyes. It breaks his heart to communicate this truth that there are those who now walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. And now in the Hebrew culture, this word walk in the Greek means to live, to conduct oneself. So he's talking about those who now live 
as enemies to the cross of Christ. And Paul is communicating not those who are sinners who never believed. He's talking about those who at one point put their confidence in Christ. Now they're no longer walking in that confidence. It's these Judaizers that he was talking about in verse 2. At one point they said Christ and Christ alone. But now they're teaching that if you are in fact going to be saved, yes, you need to come through Jesus. But then you also need to practice the Mosaic law. And so now Paul is making it plain that if you go to that teaching, you have now become an enemy of the cross of Christ. And this word enemy is really hard, and it could seem harsh, but what Paul is communicating is that they're irreconcilably hostile to the cross of Christ. Irreconcilably hostile. No hope because they have rejected Jesus Christ. And so Paul wants to make it plain. Listen. I'm reminding you, I'm calling you to continually persist in your pursuit of Christ because there are those who at one point said they were confident in Christ and they're not continuing in that. So you do right to put your confidence in Christ. You do right to partner with Christ, but I want you to continually do that until you reach home because there are some who put their confidence in Christ, who even partnered with Christ, and now they're walking as enemies to the cross of Christ. And Paul lets it very plainly be known. It's not going to be a good day for them when Jesus Christ returns. And that's why rightly there are tears in his eyes as he communicates that truth. Verse 19, he says, Their end, those who are irreconcilably hostile to the cross of Christ, is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Their end is talking about their destiny is destruction. And this is talking about a loss of salvation. So again, it's within the context. It was those who at one point had grabbed a hold of Jesus and now are letting go. Their destiny is now going to be a loss of what they at one point said they had a hold of. Their God is their belly, their palate, their appetite, their gluttonous, their evil desires and pleasures. And they glory, they praise, they boast in their shame. The shame is things that are objectively, publicly disgraceful. It's not an opinion. Well, you know, I mean, that's their thing. That's not my thing. No, it's anybody who has a pulse and who really thinks anything about anybody else looking and says, man, that's a bad idea. Objectively, that's just disgraceful. They glory in that. They praise in that. And the reason why Paul says they do that is because their minds are now set on earthly things. Their minds are set on pursuing the things that gratify the flesh. They're looking to do themselves as opposed to gratifying God. And so Paul wants the believers to know, don't go down that path. Do not break away from the confidence that you put in Christ and Christ alone. Because that way is a destructive way. And then Paul, in this encouragement also lets them know why they should continually hold on to the hope they have in Jesus. Verse 20 says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now remember, Paul is not teaching them anything new. He's only reminding them of what they have already come to know to be true. They are sons and daughters of God. The saints would have clearly remembered the process to becoming citizens of heaven, and the expectation that comes as a result 
of being citizens of heaven. So I just want to jog your memory. Those who have renounced the faith, who have become hostile to the cross, their end is destruction. But I need you to remember, our citizenship is in heaven. And by jogging their memory, they would remember whose they are and who they're called to be. In Galatians chapter 3, we can get a snapshot of the process to becoming a citizen. And if your, your Bibles are open, Galatians, just a couple of books over so that you can read along here. And if you do read along, put a place marker in Galatians. We're coming back. Chapter 3, verse 23 through verse 27, the process of citizenship, which the believers that Paul is talking to in Philippi have grabbed a hold of. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So this is the process to citizenship. If you are a citizen of heaven, you did not come in through your own justification. It wasn't through the keeping of the law. It wasn't through circumcision. If you became a citizen of heaven, Paul is communicating that it was through faith in Christ Jesus. You were not hostile to the cross. You put your hope in the cross, believing that Christ and Christ alone could earn you access into glory by paying the sin debt on your behalf. And so now, because you put your confidence in Christ, Paul says you are all sons and daughters of God, heirs to the throne, citizens of heaven. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And now having become citizens, we understand the process. There's also a practice that citizens of heaven live out. And the scriptures let us know what that practice looks like. Colossians chapter 3. Again, if you have your Bibles, that's just one over to the right from Philippians. You can read along. And, and just as a homework assignment, it would be wrong of me not to leave you with a homework assignment. I encourage you to read over and meditate on chapter 3, verses 1 through 17, because it's good. And I'm only going to pick apart a few things out of here to, to jog our memory on what it means to be citizens of heaven. But I'm telling you, if you would take time to meditate on this all week long, it will mess you all the way up in the best of ways because I am no good after reading through this list. But here are the practices for those who have put their hope in the cross, starting at verse 1 of chapter 3 in Colossians. If then you have been raised with Christ, you put your hope in the cross of Christ, Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So as citizens of heaven... We don't have minds set on earthly things like the them whose end is destruction. 
We have our minds set on heavenly things, on things above. So we are in pursuit of things that gratify God because we're citizens of heaven. And then Paul goes on through this list in chapter 3 of Colossians to let us know then what that looks like to have minds set on heavenly things as opposed to minds set on earthly things. And he says there's some things that you have to put off. You have to put to death. It says, put to death, therefore, as citizens of heaven, sons and daughters of God, what is earthly in you. And by putting to death, he doesn't mean literally put to death, but what he's communicating is starve the flesh. Don't feed the flesh. Make it weak, immobile, useless, lying there lifeless because we're not feeding it. So put to death, therefore, the things that are earthly in you. Sexual immorality, evil desires, covetousness, idolatry. I'm just jumping around here a little bit. Verse 8, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie. These are all the things that you don't feed. We don't feed the flesh, so these things don't have life anymore. Paul says at one point you walked in these things. But now because you become citizens of heaven, you don't feed that anymore. You don't feed the flesh. You now feed the faith. And so as children of God... Paul goes on to say here in verse 12 of Colossians, put on then. And I love in the Greek, this paints a picture of getting dressed to to immerse yourself in your clothing. Right? So you're fully covered in this clothing. Put on then as God's chosen ones, his children, sons and daughters, holy, set apart, and beloved, dearly loved by your creator. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forgiving. Above all these, put on love. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts and be thankful. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is what we put on as citizens. So as citizens of heaven, we have minds set on earthly, not on earthly things, but on heavenly things. And we pursue then the things of God. And so it would be right for Paul to remind the saints of Philippi that Our citizenship is in heaven. Our hope is in the cross. And so we don't live like the them whose end is destruction. We live as those who await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. This word await is a triple compound word. That's just a made-up word. Once you go past two, it's like, all right, now you're just making stuff up. A triple compound. It's a triple compound word. So I didn't even attempt. You know, sometimes I'll spend the week just reciting some Hebrew and Greek so I could say the word a little bit more fluidly. I'm not even trying. Go look it up. Await. Triple compound word. It's a verb that communicates the same kind of thing as straining and forgetting. It's an active, present, continuous pursuit. Here's some uh, translations. Use three words. To translate this triple compound word, we are waiting, actively waiting. It's a waiting that decisively puts away everything that would remain behind. Decisively puts it away. And so again, in the context, if Paul is talking about a mindset that's on heavenly things, then the things that we're talking about putting away are the earthly things. I decisively put away the things that are earthly in me. So that I might continue to pursue things that are gratifying to God. And so I await my Savior. Expect it eagerly. Waiting for my Savior to return. And for those who put their hope in the cross. For those who live this way. 
Paul lets us know that our end is not destruction. Our end is glorious. Verse 21, Jesus, the Christ, will transform our lowly body. Just need to let that sit for a moment because some of you think your body is powerful. You're weak, feeble, frail. You're welcome. Sometimes we just need to be reminded of the truth, right? Our lowly body, I don't care how strong you get, how good you think you are. And I'm not just talking about muscle. I'm talking about how you work out your mind, whatever it is that you think is just great in your body, not going to be in heaven. So where are we putting our hope? He's going to transform these lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself because he's God. So for those of us who are citizens of heaven, who are eagerly, expectantly waiting for the return of our Lord and Savior, we have a hope, a hope that we hold on to that should compel us to continually pursue the presence of God and God alone. And so now as Paul brings this final portion of this first part of this second section of his letter to a close, it's right that he would leave off with an encouragement. But I want you to hear this less of how we would encourage, like, you're doing a great job, keep it up. No, this is more of an encouragement that leads to a directive, a command. Like, if I could make you, I would control your arm and say, go ahead and grab that, pick it up, and drink it. But as much as I can, I want to encourage. So it's, it's, an, it's more of a forceful, loving encourage, encouragement to go and get it. Therefore, my brothers, in light of all that he just spoke about from verse 1 to verse 21 in chapter 3, stand firm thus in the Lord. This word stand firm in the Greek is one word. That means persevere, to absolutely persevere in your fellowship with the Lord. Because of who God is, what he has done, and what he's going to do, I want to encourage, and if I could make you persevere in your fellowship with the Lord. And that's why Paul uses his testimony as a reminder to encourage the saints to imitate him as others have imitated him. While this is my personal testimony, Paul says, it's not personally just for me. All of us who believe in the hope of Jesus Christ must forget continually, intentionally, anything else that we may have put our confidence in and strain forward until the day that Jesus Christ returns or call us home for the hope righteousness for the glory that awaits us. And so we could get a picture of perseverance by looking at Paul's testimony. But I'd like to jump back over to Galatians, this time looking at chapter 5, because Paul also clearly communicates what it looks like to persevere, what it looks like to stand firm in the Lord, absolutely persevering in our fellowship with the Lord. And there are two things that are critical if we are going to be a people who persevere until the day that the Lord returns or calls us home. And so Paul, what he was writing preemptively to the saints in Philippi, he is now speaking to the saints in the churches in Galatia in corrective communication. Right? So they did not heed the advice that Paul gave, the same kind of advice that he gave to the saints in Philippi. They actually were swayed by the Judaizers. 
And actually, before I read chapter 5, let me go back to chapter 1 of Galatians. Because I want you to see how, how hard Paul draws a line on this point. <clears throat> that first key to persevering is being unapologetically unwavering in your conviction that Jesus Christ is the only way. Paul writing to the churches in Galatia, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Unapologetically unwavering in his conviction that Jesus Christ is the only way. To the point that he would say, if I come with a different gospel, or even an angel from heaven, like, all right, Paul, aren't you just kind of getting a little bit out of your area of uh, expertise here, an angel from heaven? Yes, anyone who would come preaching a different gospel, because there isn't another gospel by which you can be saved, let them be accursed. In other words, how do you take that and how do I understand that? Do not listen. Do not heed their advice or their teachings. Reject it vehemently. Push it back hard. Fight against any false doctrine. Anyone, anyone comes preaching a different gospel. Don't listen. Chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. What should you do? For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, irreconcilably hostile to the cross of Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. It's the cross of Christ, our confidence in Christ alone. If you and I are going to be a people who persevere, who hold on to the hope of righteousness, it starts with having an unapologetically unwavering conviction that Jesus Christ is the only way. Now listen, that does not mean that I go through the streets picketing and telling people who don't believe in Jesus, you're going to hell. That's not what Paul is talking about. Paul even says that for those who are in the world, we should have compassion and extend grace towards them. But for anybody who wants to come in here speaking a false gospel, oh, you came into the wrong place on the right day because you're about to get sat down. No, there's zero tolerance or room for a false doctrine. Stand firm in the confidence that you have in Christ and Christ alone. And I'm not going to say, I'm sorry, I wish there was possibly another way. No, I don't. If Jesus said it's the only way, that's good enough for me. Get right or get left. I don't know what else to tell you. 
is the word of God. Right? That's how we need to stand. Stand firm in this truth. And if we do, then we're on our way to being able to persevere. But there's something else that we have to do if we are going to, in fact, persevere until Jesus Christ returns. And so Paul, in this corrective communication to the churches in Galatia, lets them know the same thing that he preemptively spoke to the saints in Philippi. Verse 16 of chapter 5. But I say, walk by the Spirit. This is that same walk to live, to conduct your lives in obedience to the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. They are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So there is no coexisting. You can't play nice in the sandbox with the flesh. No, you need to put it to death all the way. Now, maybe they just get a little nibble. Nope, you're going not even a smell of what's coming this way. I'm feeding the faith in the faith alone. I'm not feeding the flesh. So we need to walk by the Spirit. We need to obey the Spirit if we are going to make sure that we don't gratify the flesh. And then Paul continues on here in chapter 6 of verse 8, why this is so important. If we're going to, in fact, persevere and experience the hope of righteousness, the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. Their end is destruction. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. Those who sow to the flesh will reap from the flesh. And again, if we remember Philippians, their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They're not going to make it home. They are enemies of the cross. But for those who are citizens, we must continue to sow to the Spirit. And if we do that, says we will from the spirit reap eternal life and so then here's this encouragement of what it looks like to persevere for those who have put their confidence in christ and christ alone let us not grow weary of doing good do not faint do not give up now this encouragement is very important it's the same reason why paul would encourage the believers the saints in philippi to imitate him knowing that persecution is ever surrounding us. Because if you've been alive and walking with Christ for just a little while, you know that it's not easy. And doing good can be really hard. And I don't care who you are, how long you've lived. If you get punched in the mouth, it's going to hurt every single time. Doing good you sometimes find yourself hurting and getting hurt. And so there's oftentimes the thought that may come through our minds, is it worth it? Or you might ask the question, is it even working? I love then how Paul uses this picture of a farmer. We might flip over to James if times allows to, to really drive this farmer analogy home. Because when a farmer plants, when they sow that seed, they know that in due season, 
something's going to come out the ground, but it's not going to be right now. I've got to wait, but they wait with eager expectation that the crop is going to come. Now, if they get impatient in a month in, they're like, you know what, man, this is really taking a long time. Do you think anything's going to come out? And they want to start messing with it, then they're going to mess up and mess the process. So they have to wait for the crop to come. And then when the crop comes in its due season, they'll reap. Paul is using that same picture. Don't be weary in doing good for in due season. Now, what's this due season, Paul? Now, he's talking spiritually, right? And the fruit, the crop that he's speaking about is eternal life. So then the due season is when Christ returns. So then we need to be faithful, eagerly, and expectantly waiting for the hope that we have in Christ, the hope of righteousness, if we are in fact going to reap the crop that we sow in the Spirit. And the enemy would love nothing more for you to start the race and run it well, but not finish. Like we just ran the we. <laughs> that is one too many people in that process. <clears throat> Some of you may have just ran in the Woodlands Marathon, which, I mean, every time I say a marathon, I just need somebody before we're done to explain to me why in the world, when they have created the car, would you run 26.2 miles? Like, what you got to prove, man? Just get in, turn the key, and drive. But for those who ran this marathon, you did that. You paid your entry fee. You know what it costs to get in there. Which you I'm paying you to run? You made that up, man. There are too many trails in the woodlands for me to sit here and pay you to run on the street. But you paid to run. <coughs> and you entered this race. <coughs> and you trained for it if you had any kind of sense. <coughs> and then when it got hard, I imagine it got hard at some point. Maybe at 13.1, you're like, man, what was I thinking? And I agree with you. And at 13.1, you hit your wall. But what did you do? Quit? No, I mean, I paid too much. I keep running. I've got to finish the race. You don't get a medal when you come at the 13.1 point and say, you know what? I think I'm just going to call it a half marathon. No, your badge says full marathon. You did not finish. There's nothing for you if you don't finish. So you endure. You persevere. And you see it all the way through. The enemy would love nothing more than for you to call that 26.2 or 13.1. Just say, well, you came close. No, there is no close. There is finish or not finish. And Paul is making it abundantly clear. Don't get weary in doing good all the way through. He tell his son in the faith, Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. Paul says he's pressing toward the mark, straining forward. The language that Paul uses in fighting the good fight lets us know that this is not going to be easy. Why are you pressing, Paul? Because something else is pushing. Why are you fighting? Because I'm in the ring with another heavyweight champion. And they trying to throw haymakers to knock a brother out. Like, I got to bob and weave and throw some jabs back. We're in a fight. Just going to go ahead and ride right in this lane. Something that we all need to be aware of, and I know we don't like to talk about it a lot, and I wasn't planning on talking about it, but here we are. Spiritual warfare. I know if we can't explain it, we can't see it, if we don't feel it, it must not be real. Listen, there are powers and principalities in high places that are trying to kill, steal, and destroy. 
And I'm not saying that we need to go ahead and act like we can't uh, use medication for some things. I think medicine and technology and all that God has given us is good. There are some things, people of God, that we just can't explain away. I'm just saying, if Jesus casted out demons into the pigs and they flew off the cliff and then demons were still around, why do we think that all the demons are gone? If we believe in the hope of righteousness, then we have to believe in the destructive nature of hell. And God doesn't want that for any of us. But there are real powers and principalities that are trying to stop us from running this race. And Paul says, persevere. Don't give up. Don't grow weary in doing good. For in due season, not you might, you will reap. But what's the key? If we do not give up. It's right to have your confidence in Christ. It's right for you to partner in the gospel. But you need to finish. There's an if here. You can have your confidence in Christ just like the Judaizers did and then become an enemy, irreconcilably hostile to the cross because you now are doing the same thing that Paul said not to do. Don't put your hope in anything else, not in the law, not in your own righteousness, in nothing else. Christ and Christ alone. And if you and I do that, we will. I mean, that's got to that's make you finish the race. Like, I really want to quit. I mean, I got a cramp that's like just, you can't even understand. But if I have to drag my leg, you are coming <clears throat> on this. I mean, we're we crossing the finish line. Like, body, you will listen. We've come too far to give up now. No, I admit, it hurts. It's hard. And sometimes we do feel weary. And giving up seems like the best option. But that's why we need this reminder that Christ is...